0: My wife, Lori, and I have been parents for almost nine years. And as parents, we've struggled with a question that I think almost every parent has struggled with. And that is, how do you respond? How do you respond when you have a child who knows what they should do and yet they're not doing it? I mean, what do you do when your kid knows that they're supposed to pick up their room and they're just flat out not doing it? How do you respond? And I think it's a question that all of us struggle with, whether we're parents or not. If you're a manager in a work situation, you have an employee that knows what they should do, but they're not doing it. I mean, how do you respond appropriately in that situation? If you're a high schooler and you have friends that know what they should do and yet they're not doing it, I mean, how do you respond in that situation? What is the appropriate way to go about reacting to that? If you have a family member, and don't all of us maybe have a family member who knows what they should do and doesn't do it, how do you rightly respond in that situation? Well, a couple of years ago, Lori and I came across a book called Love and Respect in the Family by Dr. Emerson Egerich. And in that book, he gave us some advice that's proved really helpful as parents. And he says this, there is a huge difference between a child who is not doing what they should do because they quite simply can't do it, meaning they lack the maturity or they lack the training to be able to do what they should do, and a child who is willfully choosing not to do what they should. He says, our response to a situation like that, your response, my response in the workplace, friends, family, kids should be determined by whether or not we're dealing with someone who can't do something, can't do what they should because they need more training, or they won't do what they should because they're willfully choosing to go against what they should do. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, We've been in the, in the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians in the New Testament. And we're looking at these letters that were written by the Apostle Paul to an ancient church in Thessalonica. An early 1st century church. And as we come to the close of 2nd Thessalonians. We're in chapter 3 verse 6 today. We're going to encounter a group of people in the church. Who Paul has to deal with because... They knew what they should be doing, but they weren't doing it. And it was causing all sorts of problems in the early church. And in fact, this is, this is something that continues to cause problems in church today. And we're going to look at how Paul responds. But we're also going to look at how Paul determined whether or not this was a group of people who were, knew what they should do and couldn't do it, or if they were a group of people who knew what they should do and they wouldn't do it. And the way Paul determines that and the way Paul responds will help you and I as we try to determine how we should respond to people who know what they should be doing and yet are not doing it. Here's what is happening in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6, and, and what Paul says about it. Now, we command you, brothers, Paul writes, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to Imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother." This is what Paul's addressing in this letter. There was a group in the early church, and we're not sure exactly why, but there was a group that knew that they should do work, purposeful work that would earn them an income. But for some reason, they were choosing not to do it. And this caused a problem in the church. And it caused a problem, Paul says, for two reasons. First of all, it caused a problem because... These people, this group of people, the idlers, as Paul talks about them and calls them, they were out of line with God's design for their life. Paul's saying, we have handed down a tradition to you. And that tradition includes doing work that earns income so that you can provide for your own needs. And we say to ourselves, well, well, why is that a part of the tradition that Paul has handed down? Well, quite simply, God has designed you and I as his creation to work and to provide for ourselves. And you can find that early on in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates the world. And he creates it exactly the way he's designed it to be. He creates it perfect. And in that perfect world, God creates Work. I, think it's, I think it's easy for us to feel, because work is hard and it's not fun sometimes, that work could not have possibly been a part of God's original plan. But in Genesis 1 and 2, we actually see that it is. In fact, you could look at a verse like Genesis 2, chapter 15, in which it said that God takes Adam and he takes him and he places him in the garden. And he tells Adam to work and to take care of the garden of Eden. In fact, we read in Genesis 1 that the garden is to provide Adam with everything that he needs for life and sustenance. So from the very beginning in God's perfect creation, work was a part of the plan. And not just work in general, but work that specifically provided for the needs of God's creation. And so Paul, bringing it to the first century, says this group of people who are in the church who know that they should work and they're not doing it. They're actually out of line with God's design and plan for their life because God has created you and me to do purposeful work that provides for our needs. But they're not just out of line with God's plan. The problem is, is there causing a disruption that is actually starting to pull other people in the church or threatening to pull other people in the church out of line with what God wants them to do. In fact, if you look in verse 11, Paul says it this way. He says, these idlers, these people that are not working, they're not busy. Instead, they've become busy bodies. They've become a burden to the people around them. And all these people in the church who are in line with what God is calling them to do, these folks are threatening to pull them out of line because they're now having to provide for the people who can work but aren't doing it. This is a big problem in the early church. And certainly we know what that dynamic is like when someone has work that they're supposed to do and they're not doing it. Instead, they become a distraction to those around them. I know I do this. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I took a, a, one of those uh, personality assessments and there's a lot of them out there for the workplace, Myers-Briggs and DISC and Strength Finders and, and the Enneagram and all sorts of things. And no matter how many of those I've taken at different times in my life, There's one aspect of my personality that I know is going to come through. And sure enough, a couple of weeks ago, it came through again. And that is that I am a very competitive person. I don't know if that's how God's wired me or if that's the result of sin in the world and in my life. But I'm a pretty competitive person. Now, those of you who don't know me that well, you're saying, oh, this could be shocking news to you that I'm a competitive person. Those of you who know me best, uh, this is not a surprise at all. God has given me work to do in ministry. God has called me to important work in the life of the church. Let me tell you what can happen. When I allow my competitive nature to impact that work, what happens is, is rather than doing the work that God has called me to do, I start to get all distracted and I start to think about other churches and what they're doing and other ministries and how they're growing. And I start to go to the people who are in charge of ministries in the congregation. And I say things like, why aren't we doing more like that, th- what that church is doing? And why are we, why are we uh, singing that song? And why aren't we doing this work? And I let my competitive nature come and impact the work. And you know what happens? I stop being busy with the work that God has called me to do. And I start being a busy body. I start being a distraction. And this Greek word that is translated idle in most of our English texts, it's actually not a great translation for the word. Because when we think of idle, we think of lazy. But Paul's not talking about people who are lazy. Paul's talking about people who can work but won't. And as a result, they are quite busy with things that they shouldn't be doing. They are busy being a distraction in the life of the community. It's like, like me when I get overly competitive and I start allowing that to distract me from the work that God has called me to do. These people, because they're not working and earning their own living, they are now a distraction to the community who has to stop doing the work God has called them to do so that they can provide for these people. Paul's saying there's something wrong with this. And that Greek word idol, it's actually translated, the first translation in English in the King James Version way back in 1611. It's translated disorderly. And in order to understand the group that Paul is talking about, we need both of these English words. We need the word idle, the person that's refusing to work, and disorderly, the person who is causing a problem in the community. Because that's what this group is doing. It's not just that they're lazy and won't work and are sitting on the couch all day. It's that their refusal to work is disrupting the church environment and causing other people not to be able to do the work that God has called them to do. And I think the question that you and I need to ask ourselves is we need to look into the mirror and ask ourselves, are there places in my life where I am not doing the work that God is calling me to do? And instead, I am becoming a disruption to those around me. I think we all can be prone to that. And it's very easy to point the finger and and find the person. Well, that person isn't doing their work and they're disruptive. And that person isn't doing their work and they're disruptive. But the real work we need to do is to look into the mirror and say, God, are there places where you are calling me to do important work and I am not doing it. And as a result, I am disrupting other people from doing the work you called them to do. Well, there's this other question that's out there. And that is, as the church community, how do we respond to those people who should be doing work and quite simply aren't doing it? How do we know As we said in the beginning, how do we know if they're not doing it because they can't, because they lack some sort of skill set, or because they won't? That they know what they should be doing and they are willfully choosing not to do it. Well, we can look at Paul's example here. Because I think this is exactly what Paul does with the church in Thessalonica. We can come into 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and it can easily feel like Paul is being a bully. Like he's walking into this church, making snap decisions and saying, you're lazy, you're an idler, you're a busybody. I'm out of here. That's not what he's doing. These aren't people that Paul has known for minutes or hours or weeks. These are people Paul has known for years. And for years he's been walking with them and trying to determine... These folks that that aren't working, that are causing a disruption. Are these people that need more training? Or are these people that are willfully making this decision? Paul did two things to determine whether or not these were folks that couldn't or folks that wouldn't. And the first thing that he did is that he provided an example for them to imitate Rather than just yell and scream and tell them that they're lazy, Paul walked with them. And he talks about this in verses 7-10. He says, when I lived with you a couple of years ago, before you wrote this letter, Second Thessalonians, when I lived with you, I showed you what this looks like to do godly work and to provide for yourself. And you know what? I could have taken money from you, As your church planner, as your pastor, I could have taken money from you, but I didn't do that, Paul says. Instead, I worked day and night to provide for myself so that I wasn't a burden to you. And I'm providing you with an example. You should also work so that you're not a burden to other people. But Paul didn't just provide an example. He didn't just show these people how they were to live their life. He also did something that he mentions in his first letter. In his first letter, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul gives a, a much kinder, gentler instruction for the idler. He tells the church, admonish the idler. Tell them what they're doing wrong, but also encourage them. Admonish the idler, he says, and be patient with them. And that word patience, we could translate it also to say, and be long-suffering with them. So Paul says, don't don't just admonish the idler and tell them what they're doing wrong, but be long-suffering and patient with them. Walk with them. So not only does Paul provide an example when he's living with them, but in his first letter, he lets them know you're still not doing what's right, but encourages the church to be patient and long-suffering with them. And once the church has done that, once the church has been patient, and long-suffering, now they know whether or not this person that, that knows what they should do and isn't doing it is, is doing it because they can't or because they won't. Once someone has the example to imitate, once someone has people that have walked with them and been patient with them, if they continue to refuse to do what God has called them to do in working. Now Paul says at the end of this passage, it's time to disassociate ourselves with that person. And not just kick them into the curb and not just send them on their way, but to do it in such a way that they know the door is always open for them to return. But as long as we continue, uh, if we continue to walk with them too long, Paul's saying to us, all we're going to do is start enabling their behavior. So at some point, once it's clear to us that this is someone who knows exactly what they should do and still is not doing it, Paul's saying, for your sake, so that you don't grow tired of doing good he says in verse 13 it's time to disassociate yourself with that person listen i get it this is a hard message and how we apply this in the life of the church is not easy this is the last this last sermon in this, in this series that we're doing. And I'd love to end it with a sermon that is, a, is, is encouraging and upbeat, but this is how Paul chooses to end this second letter. And it's such an important message to us that we would look and determine whether or not we are distracting others And whether or not we are allowing ourselves to be distracted. Are we as a church encouraging and walking with and being long-suffering with those who know what they should do when it comes to working and aren't doing it? Or have we become enablers and it's time to disassociate so that we might be able to continue to do good, Paul says. And so that that person might become fully aware of their need to change and follow God's will for their life. Paul says something very specific here to both the idler and the person who's trying to minister to them. To the idler, he says this, if you're not working and you can, you should. It's part of God's design for you. He's designed you to work and provide for yourself. If you're not working and you can, you should. To the church, he is saying, Don't just kick people to the curb. Don't judge people from a distance. Provide an example for them to imitate. Love them. Be patient with them and long suffering. But if it comes a time that you've done all those things, walk away, put space between yourself and that person so that they might be convicted and change their life and so that you might not grow tired of doing good. Sometimes I can start my day and and I know I have one job to do. I know I have one thing I want to get done. And so I'll I'll write that at the top of my piece of paper, my to-do list. I'll put it into my phone and I'll start the day and I'll say, if I can get this one thing done, then it will be a good day. And if you're like me, you know what happens next. You get into work, you open up your email, you start doing other things, you have conversations, and I can be done with my day. I can get to the very end of my day and and realize that the one thing I wanted to get done, I didn't get done. And Paul's saying to you and to me, it would be tragic If we got to the end of our lives and the things that God had called us to do, the work that God had called us to do, we didn't get done because we were distracted with all sorts of other things. It can happen so easily that rather than being busy with the work God has called us to do, we end up being busy bodies, distracted by all sorts of things that don't matter. So if you're not doing the work that God has called you to do, and you can you should. And as a church, we need to provide good examples for people to imitate, to do the work that God has called us to do in a loving and caring way so that others might see what it looks like to do that work and to provide for ourselves. We ought to be long suffering with people, and we ought to be wise as to when the day comes to disassociate ourselves, not so that we can judge, not so that we can get rid of people, but so that we might be able to continue to do the work that God has called us to do and that they might be convicted and come back and do what God says. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's an important thing to do. So may we, as Paul say, says to us, go and do the work that God has called us to do to provide for ourselves. And may you, Mount Hope, never, Grow tired in doing good.